mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be like uh, John's disciples in some ways, more than you might think. You're wondering how the Lord could do such a thing to a man of great stature like John the Baptist, who came proclaiming the way of the Lord, and what did it get him? Thrown in prison, a beheading. Doesn't quite sound like the life you signed up for when you uh, brought either yourself to the baptismal font or maybe your parents brought you and then raised you in the faith. Did they lead with that? Is that the first thing they told you? Hey, there's a great chance that uh, they're going to hate you for being a Christian. There's a great chance that you may even be imprisoned or mocked and, well, they may even kill you for what you say concerning the Christ. I take it that's not how they led your family devotions, but perhaps it was hinted at in that little prayer that you may have said or been taught as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? Even that little prayer prepared you always to die in the hands of the Lord. And yet, as a kid, you may not realize that that could happen in the night, but it could also happen in the day. In fact, we are filled in this world with a lot of different sufferings. Many of you may know faithful and long-life Christians that have been given a terrible diagnosis. And you say, how in the world, God, could you give that to such a faithful Christian? Why would you let them suffer like that? Well, it is good that we should suffer here on earth. You may look at all of these things like cancer and uh, infirmities of the body, the loss of the use of your limbs or your eyesight goes in your old age or your hearing goes in your old age, all these sorts of things. And you may say, my gosh, Lord, what did I do to deserve that? Here I am every week in church listening to this pastor preach. Why in the world would you take away my hearing? You know, it, it's, it's easy to develop that kind of thought if we're judging by what we should have in accord with the world. But as we always confess, we justly deserve our Lord's temporal and eternal punishment, and yet he does not give us what we deserve. We are not being punished, but we are being made to draw near to the Lord and to his coming and to really let that sink into our hearts. Why did the Lord come in his first advent? Now I go back to those disciples. John the Baptist ends up in prison for preaching against the incestuous relationship of Herod, marrying his brother's wife, and he should not have. He's in prison because he speaks the truth, as God had called him to do. He's in prison because he was being faithful. That's what faithfulness will get you in this life. Judged according to the world, as St. Paul says, will land you up or end you up with a world of hurt. But you know, it is more that we should not be judged by anyone but the Lord. Because at the last, the Lord will reveal 
where the darkness was and where the evil was lying and where the faithful were, even though they may be put in the dark cells of prisons to languish in misery for their life, the Lord will reveal the light of truth that came from their mouth that was confessed rightly before the world. So John's disciples, they come to him or he calls them to himself and it's interesting, I guess, the first that they came, that they still let their names be associated with this one that was in prison. What boldness and courage it means to be a disciple. A disciple of John meant that they were to, to look to Jesus because it was John who pointed the way. He is the one that said and identified who the Lamb of God was. He says, it's this one, behold the Lamb of God. And so his disciples would have known that. They didn't question who Jesus was sent or who John was sending them to. They knew who Jesus was. It was the one that John identified. But as they had preached and ministered to John in prison, they had told John of the works that Jesus was doing. And so John now sends them with a message. Ask this. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Now maybe they had recalled in their mind, perhaps even John himself recalled these words from Isaiah the prophet In chapter 61, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. If you were associated with the prophets and the prophecies of old, this coming of the Messiah was to do these things. And yet here, John is bound in prison for preaching faithfully the comfort that the people of God should have in the forgiveness of their sins. They came repenting. They came in humility. The Lord gave them the blessings of his comfort in that he atoned for their iniquity. And yet here, John is. Where's the day of vengeance? I'm in prison. Where's the releasing of the captives? I'm in prison. When are you going to open it and let me free? So they go to Jesus. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus gives them the words of comfort. He tells them, that the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Well, John had heard of these things. But how is that comforting to John to hear these things? Why did Jesus tell them to go back to John with those words? The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. All things that have to do with the body first. When Jesus is coming, he is reversing the curse. All of these infirmities of the body are a result of sin and the fall into sin. Blindness was not in the world before sin was. Neither was being lame or deaf or mute or any of these things. Death was not in the world prior to sin. As the Lord said, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So why does Jesus say these things as if, to preach to John something that he doesn't need. He's not blind, deaf, or lame. 
But each of these marks the sign that he is the true Messiah, the Son of God. Each of these was a sign to John to know that he was the true Messiah because when he came, he would reverse the curse. He would take away our infirmities. He cared enough not just to save the soul, but the body joined to the soul as it would be raised from the dead. But yet these things aren't as great as they may seem to us. I'm sure you, like me, have spent many hours in prayer praying that somebody would receive full recovery from their sickness, full healing of the body, that the cancer would be removed, that the hearing would come back, that the sight would be restored. You've prayed long hours, I am sure, as we all have. If the church could join together and count the many prayers that we have prayed, it would, it would be so much that we couldn't hear it all. We have prayed for thousands of years for these things, and yet they don't always happen the way we desire them. And some people are made to bear their cross in this life without a full healing. But even if Jesus were here doing these things before us, these signs, as great as they were, what do they still have all in common? The blind well, they will once again close their eyes in death. They won't see anything but the back of the eyelids. The lame will once again rest their legs and their arms as they and their bodies are committed to the ground. The deaf, well, they will, even having been open to hear the sweet voice of the gospel, will again close their ears, and have the silence of death. The lepers who were separated from society and their families because of the disease and the contagion that they had and their skin deteriorating will again find their skin deteriorated in the grave. Their separation from their family, from their loved ones, will once again return. Even the dead who were raised must again be committed back to the earth from which they were taken. So as much as these things maybe bring a temporal comfort, we have a greater problem. They're not lasting. They're not lasting without the gospel. And so the very words that Jesus ends with are the most important of them all. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. That is the only thing which can give an eternal comfort, which can transcend the body and the grave, which go forever into eternity. That the gospel is proclaimed is that the very son of God who came to this earth was actually here not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That he was coming not to take anyone's life away, but to in fact restore life by laying down his own. That the gospel is preached to the poor comes as so significant because God was tearing down every single idol that had ever existed in the heart of man. He was humbling all peoples. The law was preached 
and so that everyone heard their transgressions, who knew their failures, so that they did not pride themselves in their own works or their behavior, but they prided themselves in the mercy of God. They did not boast in themselves, they boasted in the Lord. John was in prison, but that did not mean he could not rejoice even there in his prison cell. John was in prison, but that did not mean that he had lost the words of the gospel. By all accounts, he was the poor man. He had need of Christ. He had need of the comfort that comes from hearing the gospel and the work of Jesus. The rich will not hear it. They will not understand it. They will not receive it because they think they have no need for it. But it is when God takes everything away from us. Then we understand our great need. When he shows us what we truly deserve. All of us to be in the prison cell. All of us to truly be beheaded and killed. And then we come to realize the grace and mercy that he has shown us. There is something for us to rejoice in. Today is a Sunday to rejoice not for a temporal healing, though these things are wonderful and we can rejoice for a time in it. No, today is the day that we rejoice that God has put an end to our captivity, our captivity to sin, to our own sinful nature that gets the better of us all the time, that tempts us away from faith and trust in God. He has freed us from the captivity to Satan. For we were all once members of this devil's kingdom. And he has freed us from that. Proclaim liberty to the captives because I have defeated your enemies. I have forgiven your sins. Proclaim comfort, comfort to my people because their iniquity is pardoned. I have covered all their sins. The blind truly do see now. They see because God has shown the light on all darkness in our present time. The Lord has shown light to us so that we may see our neighbor and love them with the mercy which he has loved us with. To care for their needs and the body and most especially the soul. God has given to us feet that now move not for our own works and purposes, but to care. To evangelize, to share the good news, and to find peace with one another. We are moved to do so, our hands and our feet being used by the Lord. We have ears to hear, ears to hear the words of the book, not just any book, but the, the words of the gospel, so that they sink in and dwell in our hearts richly, so that we may rejoice without having to worry about our present circumstance. Whether our cross is heavy or light, we know that we walk together in unity of faith, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of the Lord. We are no longer mute. God has given us the words to speak and not just any words, but like John's disciples, we carry with us the works of Christ. In our own bodies, we bear 
the death of Christ so that we might be the life to the world in sharing that goodness of God. We are salt of the earth. We have a treasure to share with everyone. Because no matter how much is taken from us in this life, whether it's our wealth or our reputations, whether it's even our head, it will be restored in the resurrection. Isaiah the prophet was right. The dead are going to be raised. We know that. But yet for the time we must consider his words like this. All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And no matter what happened in that prison cell for John the Baptist, no matter what happened when he was beheaded, there was one thing that they could never take from John the Baptist. And that was the word. The most important thing that stood at the end of the day for John's disciples wasn't even all the the works of Christ to restore the body. It was that the gospel remained preached. And it still is preached today. So that take everything away from us, even our breath. Still we know that the word of God will last forever. And the word of God promises that we shall enter into glory, enter into the glory of our Lord, when he raises our bodies up on the last day, not ever, ever to die again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.